and codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 349 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded on Tuesday, January 9th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 12th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, unfortunately, Kenna and Tony aren't able to be here this week as they each had to travel for their day jobs, but don't worry because they'll be back next week. Joining me this week, though, are two very familiar voices and longtime friends of the show. Terry Lynn, who has been a very familiar and powerful voice for the Star Trek community in so many ways. Terry, thank you for joining. Thank you. And with us today as well is Dr. Robert Hurt, visualization specialist at NASA JPL and Priority One's science advisor, the voice of our monthly Astrometrics Report. Happy to be here. And for the record, I was actually supposed to be traveling for my job today too, but I canceled that trip due to illness. Yes, the Andorian plague hit me, but I'm, I'm feeling better. Good, good. Glad to hear. And of course, last but not least, in our audio booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everybody. All right, Terry, would you do us the honor and tell us what we've got coming up this week? Of course I will. This week, we trek out a new way to watch Star Trek Discovery and an interview with John Cho on Larry King Now. In Discovery News, Jonathan Frakes is interviewed by StarTrek.com and Inverse.com, and we'll be sharing some of the highlights from those posts. In Star Trek Online News, they've started the year strong with a new game feature that allows players to change their crafting mods. Later, Jay stops by with this month's literary review. Then, as always, we open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming. Captains, you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. It's that time of the show where I take a moment to thank our patrons for their ongoing support of Priority One from month to month. Now, Captains, as you know, this is a volunteer organization, and none of us get paid for what we do here. And without your support, Captains, the lights wouldn't stay on here at Priority One Podcast. Now, currently, we're just $125 shy of our monthly goal. That means that if 125 of you donate $1 a month, we would be hitting our goal. That's it. $1. 125 of you. Or 50 of you at $2. You don't have to contribute what's listed on the Patreon page if you'd like to share with Priority One. Now, we know that a financial contribution may not be possible. So there's other ways that you can help, like sharing the show with your friends and liking us on places like iTunes and Google Play or Facebook. That website, to find out how you can contribute to Priority One and get some interesting rewards to boot, is patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Captains, have you ever thought about working with Priority One? Now is your chance. It takes a lot of time and work to compile and edit the show each week, and our dedicated team is stretched a wee bit thin. If you've got experience with audio editing and can spare an hour or two a week, we could use your help. 
If you're interested, we've got a handy form on our website, or just email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now, let's trek out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Last week, Variety.com's Todd Spangler broke news that CBS All Access will soon be available to Amazon Prime members as an add-on channel. At first launch, you'll have to choose the no commercial offering for $9.99, but later they intend to release their limited commercial subscription at $5.99 along with their $99 annual subscription. What do you get in terms of content? Virtually the same exact thing you would via the dedicated CBS All Access platform. What you're doing is just paying Amazon an additional $6 or $10 a month. And let's face it, it's very likely that you already have an account with Amazon. Do you guys buy from Amazon? I buy oh, yeah. Amazon. I've got a Prime. So, I mean, look, the, to be completely honest with you, the CBS All Access interface, Robert, I know you, <laughs> I know you have had some issues issues <laughs> with it, and we'll just put, put, it, put it nicely that way, um, is clunky. It just really, the CBS All Access web interface is really clunky. So I might actually just switch over to the Amazon Prime account. I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense if you're already vested in Amazon Prime and you're using that for viewing a lot of movies and shows. That way you get your Star Trek sorted in with everything else that's in your normal playlist. So, you know, it makes sense from that, I would think. And for me, I see it as six of one and a half a dozen of another. Uh, It really doesn't make a difference. Both tend to work really well for me, just whether or not it would be best on maybe a portable device for me. CBS All Access actually tends to work better for me on the portable device. Hmm, interesting. You know, I haven't tried it on a portable device. I usually, tr- I'm like, I'm like, I want to sit all comfortably in my my sofa and popcorn because it's Star Trek night, and it's so it's so exciting. But I, it's I, you know, interesting enough. Tony's traveling. I wonder what his. Are you on an Android or an, or um, Apple phone? Me, I am on a Google Pixel, so an Android. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. The, the Android. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Tony while he's away. I think he has an iPhone, and I'm gonna ask him to test test it for him where he is. Because I know also a lot of people were having regional issues in the United States. For instance, Robert, I know that you were you were one of the the several thousand people that were unable to access the episode. I think it was the third episode. Yeah, that's right. So I'm curious. I'm curious what what that experience is like, and I'm also curious to see what this experience is like in all access. Because if I can get it all in one one ecosystem, great. Now there's one downside to it, of course. On uh, Amazon, you're never, ever going to get any kind of promotional or discount, I would imagine. I think CBS would probably mm. reserve those special offers just for their own service. So, for instance, you know, I canceled over the holidays, and then I had a chance to get one free month if I pre-ordered an extra month. So, you know, I basically get two for the price of one to finish off the season. And that kind of offer wouldn't show up for the Amazon. No, that's a, that's a really good point. And you know we're we're promoting switching over to Amazon, and by saying that, we ourselves lose the you know we've been pushing people to use the affiliate link, but I recognize one hundred percent that you know the 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 interface is, is a little clunky still, and that you might have a better experience. But like Robert said, yeah, and you the, might lose out. And on the that. last point I'm going to make is the one thing that'll make it very easy is that the CBS All Access app isn't necessarily accessible by most smart TVs, where Amazon Prime is. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to our first community question this week. 
Will an integration into Amazon's ecosystem entice you to subscribe to CBS All Access? Let us know in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO349 or by responding to us on our social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter. Well, it turns out that Patrick Stewart isn't the only Trek actor interested in working with Quentin Tarantino on a Star Trek film. John Cho, the Sulu of the JJ-verse, was recently chatting with Larry King on his Aura.TV show Larry King Now when the topic came up. Cho wasn't able to confirm the reports that a fourth film has in fact been greenlit for production, but when asked by Larry if he would be in a film directed by Tarantino, Cho simply replied with an enthusiastic, quote, Oh yeah, I think he's brilliant, end quote. He goes on to say, quote, I would like to do some Quentin Tarantino dialogue as Sulu, end quote. The interview goes on to discuss Cho's excitement about working on the film, so we encourage you to trek it out. Links to the interview will be in the show notes. All right, so you guys are some, some, you know, you guys are important voices in the Star Trek community, you know, and I'm really curious to know what you guys think of Tarantino doing Star Trek. Well, I'm, I'm glad I have a chance to say it because I've been listening to your guys' commentary for a while, and I, I, I have got to say I'm, I'm in Kenna's camp on this, that uh, as entertainment, I have nothing against an R-rated Star Trek film, but, but for me, Star Trek has so fundamentally been a source of inspiration for people and for children, I am just incredibly dismayed at yet another part of the franchise being locked off from, I think, the people who maybe can benefit the most from seeing it, and that's young people. You know, Star Trek is ultimately optimistic. It has had a history of showing people in positions of authority who historically did not wield such authority. You know, we're finally at a point where we've, you know, had the first gay couple on a Star Trek series, and all of this is getting locked off from kids that might actually be changed, have their lives improved by seeing role models and, and, and you know, positive, non-apocalyptic uh, views of the future. So, eh. <laughs> I uh, personally have my reservations. I'm going to play middle of the road on this. Uh, which I think might surprise Alio. Um, or Elijah. I'm a, it might. It might. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what would an R rating entail in Star Trek? And it would most likely be uh, an upward tick in violence and possibly language. I really hope not a lot of sex. Uh, I think that's where my, my biggest concerns come in because I don't mind uh, character studies when they're dealing with hardships, which might in turn be the violence. Having a more adult language that you get to see in the novels, to be honest with you, in a television or in a a film would be great. But I'm more concerned that it would turn into also kind of like, let's throw the sex in on top of it for probably no reason. I don't know. I have my reservations about it, but it could also be a really great thing. It just depends on the almighty script. Are you guys fans of Tarantino? Mm. In general? I'll be honest. I've, I openly acknowledge the man is a brilliant uh, artist, but I actually stopped watching his movies after Kill Bill Part 2. I, I've, I was done. I can't watch his films. It's, I'm, I'm really sensitive, actually, to graphic violence. And I, I, his movies, while intellectually I can appreciate how creative they are, I can't watch them. So I haven't seen anything right. since then. Rob, it's really nice to know that I'm not the only one. 
<laughs> I, I actually did see Kill Bills uh, 1 and 2. I I actually kind of enjoyed them because there was a, um, a veneer of com- almost like a comic book uh, idea over the type of violence that was being portrayed. But everything else since then is far too realistic uh, from my sensibilities. I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. that. That was the only thing that got me through Kill Bill was that silliness. Mm-hmm. That overlay of silliness on it, you know, the, the blood done as a joke rather than as, as reality. But, but yeah, that I realized that was it. That was my limit. So <laughs> I know uh, I can hear a horde, horror silence in the other end here. <laughs> Everybody knows my take on it. I, I, I mean, yes, Tarantino certainly pushes the limits in terms of violence. You know, even a film like Reservoir Dogs, very bloody, Pulp Fiction, very bloody. And his films, Django Unchained, um, Hateful Eight, and Glorious Bastards, ended up becoming hyper realistic, hyper realistic in their in their in their portrayal of violence. Um, and I completely acknowledge it is it can be very difficult to watch. But as I've said before, you know, I think that he, yes, he is a student of film and very talented. So I'm eager. I'm eager to see what what we might get. What kind of marriage of the two, of what what marriage we'll get of. Tarantino dialogue with a handling of adult themes, adult content in a Star Trek world. More so more so than what we're getting with Discovery. You know, the thing that would have excited me is if I hadn't read the article of him insisting on a hard R rating for it. Because mm-hmm. what would have excited me is if if Tarantino was using this as a creative opportunity to to actually spread his wings a bit. Watching right. Tarantino operate under the constraints of doing a PG-13 film would actually, I think, be interesting because mm, it would challenge yeah. him to not just fall back on on violence tropes that, that he makes you know, expert use of in his films, but it might enable him to find different aspects of his storytelling and bring them yeah. more forward. So yeah, That's a good point. And moving on to other interviews, Star Trek.com published an interview with Star Trek veteran Jonathan Frakes, Yay! About his experience directing the mid-season opener of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 10, titled Despite Yourself. In it, you'll find Frake's perspective about directing the new cast that carries the TV torch of the franchise. Possibly one of the most interesting parts of the interview is where he compares his own experience as an actor in the franchise to that of the cast of Discovery. He stresses how he recognizes the sense of community and friendship between the actors. Quote, you can tell when an acting crew stays at their cast chairs during a lighting setup or when another actor scene is done instead of immediately retreating to their trailer. It says volumes. They want to be in each other's company. They don't want to miss anything. They want to support each other. They trust each other and they genuinely like each other. It makes everybody's day better. End quote. The interview does go into some of the technical specifics about filming and directing. For instance, managing very intense scenes that we won't spoil, at least not in this part of the show. For those of you interested in directing, and for those of you who just love Frakes, la 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 la, this is a must read. (laughs) While we're on the topic of Frakes and Tarantino, Inverse.com had a chance to speak with Frakes over the phone. And they inevitably asked him about his thoughts on Tarantino at the helm of the next Star Trek film. Frakes had this to say, quote, don't forget the heart. Before you eat it, don't forget the heart. End quote. 
Inverse.com writer Ryan Britt had a much lengthier interview with Frakes, and we'll be sure to include that link as well in our show notes. So, <laughs> Terry, we'll, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll go yes. into this a little bit more in, in, in our on-scene segment, but how excited were you to know that Frakes was Well, directing? I think all of us who had been at Star Trek Las Vegas last year knew that he was going to be directing. And so for us to be able to see, finally, the fruits of his labor and my points of view on how do I say this? There is no doubt in my mind he's one of the best television directors ever after watching mm-hmm. the episode. Um, yeah. Now, we'll discuss later how, how I felt about the writing. <laughs> how about you, Robert? No, I mean, I, I just think it's great that the show has been developed with so many honest efforts to connect it to the hearts of the franchise, and that, that includes involving people like Rod Roddenberry, on, uh, at least as an ex- executive production level, but also bringing in people like Frakes, who you know, has a long history of directing Star Trek, uh, as, uh, both on the small and large screens, is you know, really trying to show their, they're trying to capture the spirit of it, even as they go off and tell their own unique spin on Star Trek stories. So, yeah, thumbs up for that. I, I, I always try not to go into song or talk about theater during the show, but I can't help it. I can't help it. And as he was describing the atmosphere, you know, that, that, that their, the, their, their partners stay behind to watch each other's performances, right? Their, their acting partners stay on to watch each other's performances. I can't help but think of, of even community theater that I do locally, right? It's, it's when you love a cast, when you're working and making great work together you don't want to just run off into a dressing room and and not talk to anybody and i've been in shows that that's kind of how it is i show up and i I don't read i I don't we don't jive right i've had deep space nine and i've had tng you're lucky oh yeah i went i went you went there and and, you know you you keep going there and you are going to be getting the clockwork orange (laughs) ds9 treatment just be warned we, we will overcome this little mental block you have and so you can really appreciate it properly. <laughs> well, that wraps up the week in Star Trek news. Now let's find out what happened over in gaming with Star Trek Online and other games from the franchise. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. We're only into the second week of 2018, and we're already starting to see some action headed towards Star Trek Online. Here's what's coming. The arena of Sunpick returns. Between January 11th and January 15th, all three factions will be able to participate in the five-player event, Arena of Sunpick. Participating in the event will require you to be between levels 50 and 60, but you will earn weekend event vouchers that will allow players to purchase a new ground weapon, the Sunpick Blast Assault Weapon. Now, no matter how well you do, you'll earn a weekend event voucher to earn the weapon. However, the farther along you progress, the greater the additional rewards you'll receive. For instance, if you fail before three rounds, you'll get no marks. But, if you make it past level 56, you can earn up to 163 marks, over 3000 dilithium, and even some crafting materials. Rewards continue to increase as you progress farther along. One of Star Trek Online's most attractive features is its storytelling. Currently, this game gives players and fans of the franchise the ability to see the ongoing adventures in the Prime Universe. Featured episodes are, well, exactly that. Episodes or game missions that are produced at a much higher production quality than your standard MMO quest. 
In these missions, you'll find special rewards, dramatic storytelling, and voiceovers from some of Star Trek's most memorable actors, reprising their roles. Between January 11th and January 25th, you'll be able to replay these missions to earn those highly sought-after rewards that you received when those missions first aired. Fight the Davidians with the Ophidian Cane, as seen in the TNG episodes Time's Arrow. Or maybe, in the thick of battle, you could use an extra hand. Why not use the Shard of Possibilities to summon copies of yourself that will help you in battle? Not only are the rewards excellent, but so is the storytelling. True Star Trek episodes with compelling stories that put you in the captain's chair. Are you going to play these uh, missions, Elijah? Uh, So I have all the rewards from the featured episodes. What I have been itching to do is start the game from start to finish again. Right. Um, Now, if they had introduced, I don't know, bonus marks or bonus dilithium in addition to the uh, original rewards, I might have gone back in and played these missions because they are great, great missions. Yeah. Um, But I've played them time and again, so I do, you know, they're, they're fresh in my mind. Yeah. I'm going to give them a shot myself uh, because um, some of the items that you mentioned, I want to get on some of my old characters. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely play a few of them. Uh, there's definitely some good rewards there. Um, I, I don't think I'll do it on every one of my tunes, though, because I have a ridiculous amount of characters. Yeah. So, moving on to patch notes for January 11th, they resolved an issue which was occasionally causing a crash when using the PVEQ system. They also resolved an issue which was causing some videos, such as the beginning videos to tutorials, not to play. This week, they also moved the items from the Sona lockbox into the Infinity lockbox. Now, the Infinity lockbox is only available for a limited time and contains items from nearly all previously retired lockboxes. Those Infinity boxes are now available until January 23rd. Meanwhile, the Zenkethi lockbox is being retired. So if there's something you were itching for, now's your chance, especially that those Sona items have been included. And lastly, the 8th project for the Colony Beautification is now available on the Draenor Fleet Holding. Upon completing the project, you get the installation of a pretty aquarium to look at fishies. Ah. And well, that's it for Star Trek Online News. Whoa, 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 whoa. Elijah, I think you're forgetting something. I am? What? The new update to the crafting system. Oh, yeah, I guess we can talk about that. (laughs) In a blog post on January 9th, systems designer Cryptic Riddy posted an introduction to the upcoming re-engineering system. I remember way back when the crafting system and upgrade system was first introduced to Star Trek Online, and one of the loudest criticisms was that the item modifications couldn't be controlled. Well... Cryptic is about to release their answer to that problem. For those of you that may not be familiar with MMO mechanics, items in the game, particularly weapons and armor, can be enhanced with something called a mod or modifier. Some commonly sought after modifiers to, say, weapons is crit D, which means the weapon now has a better chance of dealing a critical damage hit on its enemies. Other modifiers include enhanced accuracy, so your hit-to-miss ratio is improved. When the item crafting and item upgrade systems were introduced, there was no way of choosing which modifiers you wanted. You just prayed to RNGesus that you got the mods that you were hoping for. With this new system, let's say you have a beam array that currently has a mishmash of modifiers, and you'd like to make them all the same, something like crit D, for instance. 
Now, any given item can have up to five modifiers. So let's say those beams we were talking about already have three of the five crit D modifiers you want. The other ones are something like damage or accuracy or something else. That means that you only need to work at changing two out of the five. Great, but it's gonna cost you. Now what do you need? First, instead of discarding and selling all those unwanted items you get in critter drops, all those items you pick up when you kill an enemy, you're gonna wanna convert them into something called salvage. You can then use that salvage along with dilithium to roll a slot machine style interface that will randomly change the modifiers you want. So it is in fact a dilithium sink with the introduction of a new currency. In the current iteration of the user interface for the system, you can lock in modifiers you want to keep or already have, like those three crit D mods that we mentioned earlier. Then you roll the dice or pull the lever or whatever randomization metaphor you want to use here to try to change the remaining modifiers to the ones that you want. For a demonstration of what the system currently looks like, head over to Star Trek Online's Facebook page for a live stream hosted by community manager Ambassador Kel. You can jump to 1843 or minus 2853 minute mark to immediately start the demonstration of how the system works. So I, I think here's here are two things right that that come to mind immediately for me is that why do we need to decompile unwanted items into a new currency called salvage right when what we were already doing was decompiling them and, ju and then just converting it to, to energy credits why not use why not use this system as an energy credit sink as well right because what can you what do you sink energy credits in mostly nowadays right it's keys if that yeah uh, items on the exchange but it's really a key conversion thing right yeah in most cases um, the fleet holdings or projects don't really use EC right uh, well, no, actually, they do. Um, Some of them. Yeah. Now, I have done uh, quite a bit of testing with this on Tribble, and the system, it, it's not that hard to understand. It, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, something that I do want to point out is that depending on the mark level and the quality level of the item that you're going to convert into salvage dictates how much salvage you get. So, for example, if you have a mark two very rare beamer i will say you will get 50 salvage for that item if it was mark 12 you'll get a couple of hundred for it so people will be able to use the crafting system to get this salvage like i would say that most people have absolute abundance of crafting materials you can use those crafting materials to craft absolute junk and then convert that into salvage, so it's not actually costing you anything other than crafting materials. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Maybe that's probably why they introduced the salvage instead of using EC, because possibly the, yeah. their convert the conversion rate is a little more manageable. Right. right? Uh, when you convert to EC, right, you get you know you can get up to fifty percent of what the EC value might be at a right. vendor or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but at least with salvage, right? If I if I if I craft a mark 12 item i'm getting a few hundred salvage you're saying yep yep the higher the mark level and the higher the quality the more sal the more salvage you get right so that's that's not bad because you know it, you know do craft a few mark 12 rares now but but now what does it cost to craft a mark 12 rare you're also sinking dilithium into that no 
yes, uh, for a Mark 12 rare, you would have to craft a couple of uh, very rare um, components. Let's say you did not want to spend dilithium in crafting in order to get salvage. What would you be crafting? You just craft a lower level beamery, for example. So uh, something like a Mark 8 beamery. And that would just take crafting materials and no dilithium cost. Okay. And then you figure a Mark 8 beam array would cost, would, would convert back down into how much salvage, you think? Uh, probably 150, approximately. Yeah, so that's not, that's not terrible because, so it, it, you also went in and you start, we, and I asked you to, um, to clarify some of the costs and right. what it would take to, to change these. So if you're getting, you know, 100 and something for a free Mark 8 that you're crafting and using up some crafting materials with that you've been collecting uh, over time, to change only one modifier, which I think right now, for instance, like I'm thinking back on my character, on my tune, mm-hmm. um, most of my beam arrays are epic, right? right. So they're, they're, they're Mark they're, they're maximum mark and they're epic, and I and like maybe two of those, two out of the five, have an accuracy mod instead of that that additional crit D that I want. Mm-hmm. So I'm really only going to have to spend on one. Now to change that one, it's going to cost me 500 dil- a roll of the dice of 500 dilithium and 350 salvage. Yes, that's not bad. That's not terrible. Mm-hmm. You know these they, they you start getting bundle prices, so it's not it's not that each modifier costs 500. And 350, they start to bundle as you try to do more than one at a given time. So, for instance, currently on Tribble, thanks to Winters, if you want to try to change two out of five modifiers, it's 900 dilithium with 700 salvage. And doing three modifiers is 1,200 dilithium and 1,050 salvage. So, the more you do it, you know, you get a savings in bundling it up, so to speak. Right. Uh, which is also good. It's not, you know, it's a good choice. So, all right, we figured out in talking about this why they had to introduce the salvage, right? Because EC, obviously, the return on investment would be harder to control. Or the return on, on breaking it down would be harder to control and figure out that math uh, when mostly every item is different in the game when you try to sell yeah. to a vendor or discard it. Uh, and then the dilithium is a clear dilithium sink, right? Dilithium is timed is a timed currency, right? The yeah. more time you spend in the game, the more dilithium you get. The more you do in the game, the more dilithium you collect. Dilithium is linked to Zen, and Zen is definitely a money currency. So, you know, either I either I buy Zen and convert to dilithium, or I play the game a lot, which is a win win for 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 cryptic, right? Cheeks yeah. and seats, or I'm coughing up money. Exactly. And and these costs for dilithium aren't that bad, you know, the, the for to these randomizations. Now, yeah, it's a bit of a randomization, and you have to kind of still pray to RNGesus that you don't have to do this several times to get the mod that you want. But, again, still not I'm, – I'm not – I don't hate it. It's it's a little cheesy that it's a slot machine UI. Yeah. I will say that. It's a little cheesy. But, but the end result and what it takes to get there – I'm okay with. Yeah, I think uh, the costs as they are now on Tribble, I think, are fairly fair. They're they're not that bad. Um, it, it's nice to see that you know the more uh, slots or mods you try to modify, it actually has a decreasing dilithium cost as opposed to an ever increasing dilithium right. cost. That's nice right. that they've done that. One thing I do want to say is from my testing you are going to at least run between half a dozen and a dozen times to get the mod that you want. 
So at minimum, you're going to run between 6 and 12 times before you actually get the modifier you want on whatever it is that you're trying to change. Um, obviously, it can go more than that. It might go less than that, but on average, I would say that's a pretty good guesstimation from uh, the testing that I done. The other thing that I want to say is that I imagine the, with the introduction of this system, it is going to plummet the prices of weapons on the exchange. So, for example, uh, I think it's uh, corrosive plasma weapons. They have always been huge prices on the exchange, especially if they had, you know, like a, a crit D times 3 modifier on them or crit D times 4. They were always huge prices. But I think with the introduction of this system, it is going to plummet the prices of all them because people can just buy absolute junk now you know, with maybe an accuracy mod, a crit hitch mod, a crit D mod, and a damage mod. And they can just, you know, put whatever mods they want on it. So I mm-hmm. I see that the prices of weapons on the exchange are going to fall through the floor when this uh, uh, comes out in, in the game. Yeah, no, I think this is a welcome addition. I think we were all clamoring for a way to change mods. Uh, a few things to note is that uh, with this update, they seem to be also introducing new modifiers new enhanced modifiers that you can aim to achieve that was said during the live broadcast that uh ambassador Kel said and you know i i I joked about the ui a little bit but even in the even in the in the live stream uh ambassador Kel or or one of them had joked that oh you should have put you know were you gonna were you thinking about putting the dabo sound (laughs) when you hit the randomize button uh to try to get the mod that you want and i think that says a lot about the ui right that 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 you know dabo is Star Trek is gambling in the yeah. Star Trek you know world, uh, and here we are with a slot machine format. And in in jest, they joked about adding the um, the Dabo, and of course it would have been a terrible idea to have done that. But I think it says something a little bit about the UI that and and this and the the feeling that it gives, yeah. right? Because even in the Priority One chat when we when we uh, were talking about it, everybody's first. An immediate reaction was, oh, great, so a slot machine. <laughs> okay, yeah. so it's a slot machine. It's gambling. It's slot machine. You're gambling, gambling, gambling. And I know, I know. for instance, Aura Vera despises that word for Star Trek, you know, when, when, when dealing with um, – uh, he said it on the show. You know, he despises it thinking that that's how, that, that's how players feel about things like this. Right. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of – I'm curious as to why they went with this particular design UI and style to try to randomize the, uh, the modifier. But again – even that you know that's a nitpick overall the costs seem pretty fair and by this point especially for veteran players most people and their weapons you know they've spent the money and time to redo it and redo it and redo it to finally get the modifiers they get i can't imagine many of many many veteran players are going to be spending a lot of time redoing their entire build or redoing all their modifiers because in order to bypass it people were discarding and then recrafting and then re-upgrading until they got what they wanted. Exactly. Um, So this is great for current players or new characters so that that way you don't have to go through that RNGesus process Mm -hmm. um, the way we were before. But anywho, Captains, uh, I think that leads us to a community question this week that we'll ask, and that's so far from what you've seen via the Star Trek Online Facebook live stream and, of course, the blog, what are your thoughts on the new re-engineering system coming to the crafting and upgrade systems in Star Trek Online? Be sure to leave us a comment on Priority One Podcast forward slash PO349 or comment on social media like Facebook or Twitter. 
In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. This week I'm going to talk to you about a very useful item that you can pick up from the Winter Event Store. The item that I'm talking about are the Frosted Boots. Now the reason why you might want these Frosted Boots is that when they are equipped you gain a pretty substantial speed boost while running. On the downside though, you do lose traction while they are active, so don't expect to be able to turn any tight corners while using them. They can be very useful though in the Dyson Ground Battle Zone when you get onto the boss stage and have to run from one area to another to kill Barney. In short, they are very handy to have on all of your characters and useful when you have to travel large distances. They can be equipped in any one of your four device slots, but I should point out that once you get into combat, the boots will deactivate and you will lose the speed boost from them. There was also a fun little bonus to using the frosted boots in Q's Winter Wonderland. If you have them equipped and activated while on the lake, you will see your character skate while on the ice. There are a number of different animations, so play around with them by jumping, sprinting, etc. You will find these near the top of the Winter Event Store and they only cost 15 Targ Fur Earmuffs, 15 Bolian Candles, 15 Terran Holiday Ornaments and 15 Vulcan Meditation Incense. For more information we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO349. Well that wraps it up for this weekend's Star Trek Online news. Now let's go over to Jace with this month's Literary Review. Hello Captains, this is Jace with the latest edition of Trek Lit 101, in which we travel to a beloved alternate dimension. That's right, the Kelvin Timeline, how'd you know? Boldly Go Volume 2 is out now, collecting issues 7 through 12 of the adventures of the Kelvin crew between the defeat of Crawl and the launch of the new Enterprise. Writer Mike Johnson, aka the busiest man in Trek comics, is back, joined by Ryan Parrott for the first half of the book. Interestingly, Parrot was an assistant to J.J. Abrams on Star Trek Into Darkness. While Trek regular Tony Chastain draws issue 9 and 10, both standalone character stories with his usual deft renditions of the Kelvin cast, he's bookended this volume by Megan Levins. Familiar to fans of the Fables series, or Buffy season 10 and 11 comics, Levins also drew the Waypoint Deep Space Nine story featuring Kira and the DS9 gang. I love her take on the Beyond-style warp effect here, and her less naturalistic, more animated versions of the characters. Volume 2 picks up in the wake of the Borg invasion, from the initial issues of Waypoint, with a Kelvinverse take on Journey to Babel, wherein the Romulans, after Kirk's effort to save them in preceding issues, agree to take part in peace talks. But as in the original, there is an assassin afoot, and tensions mount among the races present. This arc also heavily features characters from the Starfleet Academy comics, which I have not yet read, but now will have to check out. I especially liked the opening scenes at Babel in this story, with the assembled races sort of milling around. It reminded me a lot of missions in Star Trek Online, as did the struggle to pull together an alliance against the Borg. Issues 9 and 10 each stand alone, but are linked by the thoughtful Shastine art and their nature as individual character pieces. The first, set on New Vulcan, follows Uhura and Spock as they consider the next steps upon their life paths. The second features Kevin the Tanaxi, 
and helps us answer the burning question, will this become the Kevin timeline? It's hard for this not to be my favorite story in the book, especially given the chance to see the Tenoxi flagship in all its grandeur, and their supreme patriarch, Steve. I did a double take as I started the final arc of Boldly Go Volume 2. Ten years ago, above the planet, Axanar. I couldn't help but feel there was a little bit of cheek in this initial sequence, which ended the Battle of Axanar with the line, I just pray we haven't started a war. But of course, this is the intro to a Kelvin take on whom gods destroy, of course. A good story, though I felt it could have used one more issue to flesh out. Once it gets moving, all the climactic action blows by at lightning speed. The return of Eurydice from Volume 10 of Ongoing was a bit of a treat at well in this arc. All in all, Boldly Go continues to build on the legacy of Star Trek Ongoing. And like another STO, seems to be, at least for now, the caretaker of its timeline's future. We don't know what lies ahead for the Kelvinverse on the big screen, but things sure look bright in the comics. That's all for this month's Trek Lit 101. Now let's find out what's on screen. On screen. And thank you, Jace, for this month's literary review. Now it's time to look back to what's on screen this week with Star Trek Discovery, Episode 10, Despite Yourself. Now remember, Captains, spoiler warning. This is the part of the show where you might want to skip ahead. Also, again this episode, we'll be digging into some heavy themes. So, yellow alert. This week, we pick up where we left off in December, where many seasoned Trekkies already knew was the start of the Mirror Universe arc. It doesn't take long for the crew of the Discovery to realize that the quantum signature of everything around their ship does not match their own. And with Stamets in a coma, or a trance, or a mushroom trip, the Discovery is stranded in this parallel universe. After retrieving a data core from the debris of Klingon ships, it doesn't take long for them to learn about the mirror universe. The human race is the tyrannical, xenophobic, racist, and warmongering Terran Empire. Against it stands the Vulcans, Andorians, and Klingons. Now, until they can secure a way to get back to the Prime Universe, they must do as the Romans and fake it till they make it. A pretty montage over a moving speech from Lorca shows a busy crew working to refit the USS Discovery into the ISS Discovery. From uniforms, to badges, to Captain Killy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In this universe, <laughs> she commands the Discovery as a merciless captain with nicknames that would give this podcast an R rating. Meanwhile, Ash Tyler's flashbacks are getting worse and he's having a hard time finding himself. So he makes the intelligent decision to pay his doctor. Oh no, no, not his doctor, no. His torturer a visit in the brig. Lorel tries to comfort him by reciting a Klingon prayer to Kalis. And bingo, he's a sleeper agent. Now, unfortunately, something is not quite right. Tyler or, or Vok or El Blanco, whatever you want to call him, doesn't really wake up. Instead, he freaks out and now visits Dr. Kolber. When Dr. Kolber makes the decision to ground Tyler, let's just say things take a turn for the worse. And by things, I mean Kolber's head. Kolber is now theoretically dead. Why theoretically? Well, we'll get to that discussion later. The other people spinning their heads are Lorca, Burnham, and Saru. They're trying to figure out how to get home. Their best bet is not only to act 
as their mirror counterparts would, but also to infiltrate one of their ships, the Shenzo, and figure out how the Defiant, a Constitution-class starship from the Prime Universe, made it back. Coincidentally now, in this universe, Burnham was captain of the Shenzo, and Lorca is a fugitive. Their plan? Beam aboard the Shenzo as their counterparts and get the data on the Defiant. All right, so let's talk about some touchstones because they were plastered all over this episode. <laughs> what did you guys notice? I mean, the mirror universe, of course, the, the very top, tip-toppity things. Did you guys catch any anything that I that I haven't already listed here that, that we'll go over in a second? I don't know if I caught anything that would be different, uh, so to speak, uh, other than the fact that I think everything visually is so much different than what we're used to from what is known to be the mirror universe in this time period. So I'm not convinced it's the mirror universe, mirror universe. I think it might be a different mirror universe. Well, the, the fact that they tied it so tightly into the continuity from Enterprise, uh, which really gave us one of the deeper dives into the mirror universe since uh, Deep Space Nine, I, I was really struck that, like, oh, yeah, this really does build on Through a Mirror Darkly. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I have a little section here called Breaking Continuity, and it's like, it's, yeah, does this, the whole show kind of breaks continuity, for goodness yeah. sake. Um, so it's hard not to, yeah, it's hard... You know, the argument is that, is this the prime? No, it's not the prime. Is it the prime? Is it not the prime? Is this the prime, the prime mirror universe? Or is it the not the prime mirror? You know, I can't. It hurts my head. But like you mentioned, Robert, there's the touchstoning to the Defiant from TOS's Tholian Web. And then again in Enterprise's uh, In a Mirror Darkly. You know, in some way or another, the boat has sailed on, at least when it comes to design on the show. They've clearly made a choice. They're upgrading the designs of Star Trek for, you know, the new millennium. Like it or hate it, that's what they're doing. I don't think that we're going to find that they're going to retcon that by saying, well, the whole show is in a parallel universe where the designs all look a little different. I, I, I mean, sure, they could play that card, but that would just be a kind of the ultimate level of cheesy fan service just to try to say, don't be mad at us because we changed the look of an insignia or of a, of a, the, the shape of the pylons on uh, the, uh, the Constitution-class vessels. If you accept that design is just going to look a little different, then you really have to focus on what parts of the story continuity are different now. I'm just going to take an ulterior um, stance on that real quickly and say... What if it's all a part of the plan? Uh, what if they are absolutely paying attention to every single detail? And what we've been seeing all along is something different. Um, I'm now not necessarily convinced that we were ever in the prime universe as we knew it. Um, I'm not even sure that we'll ever see it again. I'm wondering whether or not this is going to be the way of things in the future. And that what we'll have as a series that leads us from myriad universe, uh, from one universe to another. Yeah, you know, I'm, it, I, I keep getting the feeling that, that Star Trek is now the DC universe <laughs> because mm -hmm. the DC, even in their writing, even in their comics, have embraced this multiple parallel mirror universes of Earth, mm -hmm. right? Uh, oh, and so, you know, that, that's a Pandora's box they opened back like in the 60s, honestly. And right, 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 right. And, you know, that, that it's a really easy way of, of explaining something. Oh, well, no, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't that universe. It was this universe kind of thing. I, I really would dislike if 
that's what we end up getting is 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 them saying, haha, look, this hasn't been prime universe at all, like you're like you're suggesting, Terry. Um the other thing too is that um they seem to be doing a lot of triage after each episode and after um and during after track, <laughs> right? Um one of the we might as well jump into it. You know, one of the one of the breathtaking moments in the episode is when Tyler murders Dr. Colbert, right? And so it's a breathtaking moment for a number of reasons. Yes. Um, which we'll get into. Something that has begun to circulate, and one of the one of the biggest critiques about that this particular moment in Star Trek is that Star Trek Discovery has now slipped into the bury the gays trope, mm-hmm. right? Here we are. We had established a beautiful love between two people that broke so many boundaries, not only for Star Trek in Star Trek in Star Trek history, but to see an open the gay couple was great. And then now all of a sudden we're going to kill one of them, just as we're starting to get invested in them, right? Um, and in tri- in triaging that, because um, Aaron Harberts is open the gay. And in After Trek, made a point to to say that of himself. Um, he, I feel like he had to triage that that, that this moment in, in the story and say, no, no, are you kidding me? First of all, if anybody's not going to fall on that trope, it's me as the writer because I'm openly gay. You guys have to just trust us. And then they go on to to give the spoiler and the, the spoiler of future episodes that he's not really dead, and we'll just have to wait and see how they bring him back. So we're gonna have space mushroomy magic in some way well you know it's it's always a difficult complication when something happens like this i mean i'm one of those people who's been waiting also as a gay man for so long to actually have any kind of acknowledgement of of you know gay life in like this franchise that's been central to to my life for so long um and to be honest I'm, i'm one of these guys who was raised in the South, and I had a lot of buried feelings for so long. It took me, you know, until very late in life, into my thirties, before I finally, you know, became came out with myself. And I have to question, you know, if someone had been brave enough on Star Trek or you know shows that really meant a lot to me uh, personally to show that gay people exist and they're just like normal humans. <laughs> That you know that would have made a big difference to me, and so when when you finally got to that point in this franchise, and you see like, oh wow, okay, it's finally there, then for it to suddenly turn around into this you know, bury your gaze trope, it's really tough. Even if you know that this may be just part of the narrative storytelling, and that this is part of the story moving forward, and so on one hand, I feel like, yes, obviously no one has a happy relationship on a TV show because that's not dramatically interesting. There has to be twists and turns. And so you have to expect that if you're going to have gay characters, they're going to go through the same sort of that anyone else is going through. On the other hand, it's so hard to overlook the fact that they went so much out of their way to hold back on just showing something as simple as a casual kiss between these two characters until they could portray it at a moment. The first one, immediately preceding the comatose trauma that uh, Stamets suffers when he, you know, does 113 jumps or whatever all at once. And then the very next time we see them kiss, it's moments before one of the characters is murdered. You know, it's like if you're going to make the argument that, that you want the gays to be just part of that narrative and they're going to be part of the larger fabric and they're going to go through the, the structures, 
I really hate that it hinges on something as personal and just simple as a kiss to be the the, 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 the trumpet saying something horrible is going to happen now because they just kissed. I couldn't agree more. I'm just going to say it like that. Uh, it was an, a, a moment in a show that I love and the, um, that I hated. I actually really, I can't even say the word disliked. I was in, enraged is the best um, description of my emotional reaction to the scene. Um, for multiple reasons. One, because, again, they fell into, and in my opinion, they fell into the uh, barrier gaze trope, on top of which they failed yet again with another one of my pet peeves when it comes to Star Trek writing, and that's the writer's apparent inability to write a long-term healthy relationship between any two people. Um, uh, whether they be whether what regardless of what their sexual preference is, um, nobody in Trek has been able to write a healthy married couple ever, and yeah. they find a way to make it uh, to use it as an emotional ploy against the viewer. That once you start to really like a character or like two characters together, that the best way to pull an emotional reaction out of your viewers to kill one of them, torture one of them, or rape one of them. And it's really getting tiring as far as a dramatic ploy, and it was a very Game of Thrones move. Um, Could it have been handled differently? Absolutely, and I think it probably should have. Um, Now, pulling back from that um, real quickly, I'm just, I need to, to, to do a hands out saying, However, the acting in it was just freaking unbelievable. So um, it was exceptionally, for the script they were given, it was exceptionally acted, exceptionally handled, and and amazingly directed because I didn't see it coming. I really didn't. Yeah, either did I. Either did I. And, you know, I'm going to add another sprinkle to this trope. ¿Por qué tuvo que ser el latino que que lo lo mataron? Like, the one Latino on the ship. Seriously? <laughs> Twice. Um, you know, I, I really... I, I don't know. I guess I... I, I it, it, not jaded, but... I, <laughs> people are not going to believe this, but um, I tend to look at my storytelling very optimistically. <laughs> and I'm hoping that, the, you know, based on the triage that they did um, with respect to... Wilson Cruz's character's death uh, on the show, that we are in fact, there's gonna be some kind of some kind of excellent reward. But I see what you're saying, though. Why did we have to have this Game of Thrones shock value moment to such an important character in order to get there? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. Honestly, you look at the show and you realize. That, Unlike any other Star Trek before, the show has a huge body count leading up to this moment. And and the, the death of Culver is hardly the first major horrifying death that we've seen. Uh, you know, there's been the comment that, you know, you, you, we start the series with a strong female lead and, and you know, Asian female in a captain's position. And, you know, she's dead by the end of the second episode. And then we're back to a white man <laughs> commanding the ship. Uh, a weirdly, tragically flawed white man, but, you know, nonetheless. Uh, you know, we had the very unexpected death of the security officer. Again, you know, again, if you're taking off boxes, oh, but she was a woman, and, and then she's the one who gets ki- killed brutally. 
But on the other hand, you have to say that you're going to well, lose characters. You know, are you are you going to be afraid to touch your female characters, your Latino characters, your gay right. characters because of worry of how people interpret their deaths? Versus at some point, the storytelling has to be the storytelling, and everyone will go into it. So, you know, I'm so torn in in both sides of the discussion here as to you know the falling into the tropes versus you know if you have a violent series crap's going to happen to a lot of your characters and they're going to be all across the spectrum the other um the other hot topic that and and theme that i want to talk about or rather specifically a character is burnham you know burnham is supposed to be and was was touted as our female lead Right, and not only is she the first, not only not only is she the female lead, but we, here we have the first black female lead in Star Trek, um, and I, and I feel like they're starting to, and they had a strong start with her. That first half of this season, strong start, um, up even up to the point, even up to her falling in love with Tyler, but this episode I felt did her character some significant injustice. In terms of of um, here's the example. I'll just get to the example where she she knows that he's experiencing PTSD before this episode. Um, but here he goes off on an away mission to retrieve the data core, and he has an episode during that mission where she calls him out by his first name. To which Lorca notices. And says, hey, listen, I don't care that you guys have a relationship. I just need to know that you guys are going to keep things professional. In, especially now that we're in unfriendly, uncharted waters. You know, if I'm, I think I'm almost quoting it directly. Um, and yet, they, they're in the mess hall. And he's clearly distraught. And here we had a very logical human. Okay, I, it's, it's not even about female. We had a very logical human raised with by Vulcans. And yet she decides to turn a blind eye in the name of love. I thought that was a square kick in the nuts. Or groin. I'll just say groin. <laughs> I'll tell you what, and, and I'm going to give you an alternate point of view on this. Not because I don't think it's interesting, because I do. I think it's very interesting that she decides to turn a blind eye. But it's the first time, in my opinion, that her character makes an incorrect decision. The very first time. Actually, I, I think it's the second uh, what was the, the first time for you? The first time is when she's on the Klingon ship and she sees uh, her captain murdered. She oh. consciously chose to switch her phaser from stun to kill and thereby aborted the mission. Mm. She could have completed her original mission even after uh, uh, the captain's Captain Philippe's death by simply stunning him immediately, running over, and then getting beamed off the ship. So I think that's, you know that's I, her second big mistake. I find I find it that that it's um if, if we're you know if we're calling them mistakes I find that the one you just described Robert is m- more forgiving than how they've moved her now all of a sudden um, it's not just vulnerable with Tyler it's now it's she has she has abandoned her character has abandoned logic and reason. Because look, if I, if it was if if it was my significant other and I knew that they were distraught, I would yo go to the doctor, man. Well, 
No? It, it, I, it, like, maybe, I, though, this might be in the interesting arc that her character is on, because she has been making that transition from the cold Vulcan logic, where she honestly hasn't really been making bad calls for the most part. She's never been uh, in love To a before. point where she's trying to be more emotional, Great and point. this may be part of the weakness that it's, it's affecting her, and I think that's something that she may have to come to terms with, realizing she made a poor choice that resulted in a crewmate's death. And I, if I yeah. don't see a lot of uh, her facing that in the next episode or two, I'll be very disappointed. But I think that might be a very significant turning point for her. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. even think about that. The guilt that she's going to feel when she finds out that he killed Colbert or or somewhat killed Colbert. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, there's, gonna, yeah. there's a lot on deck that we're going to see for Burnham in the future, yeah. It, it's yeah. a very frustrating and painful and annoying thing for tropes it holds, but... I'm willing to see that there are very interesting character development arcs that this all feeds into. So, T- Terry, you commented earlier about about the, some of the performances in this episode, and and I got to say, this is was for me, performance wise, one of the most impressive episodes of Star Trek I have ever seen. Cinematically, performing, delivery, you get say what you want about the story. Like you said, they were given a script. And they, it was a home run. Um, I mean, personally, because I have a huge crush, I am, I'm, I am silly for Killy. <laughs> you know, totally. I totally, I, I, Mary Wiseman in this episode had such excellent comedic timing, but didn't change, right? It was still, it was still what Mary Wiseman has been doing these, you know, in the, over the last, the course of the last 10 episodes. Yep. But, Specifically, this episode, her comedic timing was spot on, spot on. Um, and then even the moments where she had to be, where she was vulnerable and scared, and looking at herself in the mirror as this, you know, blonde tyrant. You know, uh, it's just an excellent I delivery. Couldn't agree um, more. Uh, Mary Wiseman uh, knocked her performance out of the park. Uh, the script on her was perfect. Uh, it not just real uh, reveals her vulnerability. Um, but also shows um, an actual frightening ability for mm-hmm. her to not just take command, but to change and to uh, assume a persona that she is not comfortable with at all, mm-hmm. but at the same time realizes it's, it's, it's almost too easy to slip into that, which is probably mm-hmm. the most significant um, uh, moral that you could get from a mirror universe episode and that is again it's easy for um it's so easy to become evil it's it's so yeah. easy um i have to say that uh, this episode made me realize that tilly is now my favorite character yeah i think she stole the episode i really think no she I, did. I, th- I think you're you're right this is a, a brilliant turning point for her and i think but i think it also points to how brilliantly well crafted the entire season has been setting up a long-term story because you know when you look back and you from the very beginning she's the you know i intend to be a captain and then she goes through the sequence with burnham coaching her on the strategy to you know get to the captaincy and then revisiting that herself saying you know you need to find your own way of doing it and now <laughs> she's certainly found a uniquely uh, 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 twisted way of ending up in that point. But, but part of that 
transformation I see in her is the negative side of, of trying to take on this, this evil character that she doesn't associate with, but part of it is also learning to assume the persona of a captain. The, uh, the, the speech that Burnham gave her that you know, her strength is the belief in all the crew behind her, and that's the strength of any yeah. captain, and her using that to leverage into her forms, I think, was, was really just a brilliantly nuanced arc for her character through all of these episodes culminating in that moment. Um, the other performance I got to give a, a round of applause to is um, Connor, right? This one character that we saw at the Battle of the Binary Stars who died, who 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 gets you know hit in the head and goes to visit Burnham and gets blown out into space, and then comes back and is uh, again, it, yeah, it's easy to be evil, but he did he delivered a pretty decent performance for for somebody being uh, you know uh, having you know quote unquote a, a small role. Uh, in a series, um, I was surprised. I was surprised by it. I and that fight scene, that fight scene. Whoa! No, the fight scene in the in the turbo lift. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, that was pretty. O- amazing. Only topped by the reaction of the bridge crew when the turbo lift opens, his dead body falls out, and then she gets the slow clap. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Winters, how about you? Did you have a favorite moment this uh, this episode of Discovery? Uh, I had two favorite moments. Uh, one of them was, uh, again, with uh, Tilly, uh, when she was on the bridge and answering the hail, hold your horses! <laughs> that one I thought was fantastic. Again, like you said, the comedic timing was just spot on. And uh, then the other one later on, when she says, uh, let's not keep these a-holes waiting, um, it was just brilliant. And uh, I got a good chuckle out of it. But I wasn't surprised... Uh, by that, I thought that that was handled a lot better compared to when they dropped the f bomb earlier on the season, and yes. I wasn't surprised that Jonathan Frakes was directing the episode, and it worked out a lot, you know, better overall. I have to say, my favorite Tilly line though was when she was more settled in the role and said, "Yeah, if someone said that to me, I would rip his tongue out and <laughs> use it to lick my boots." Yeah. <laughs> A lot it was, of people picked up on that one. It was, it was brilliant. I have one more honorable mention, if you don't mind. One of the things that I think uh, maybe, I don't know, I picked up on it just because I have that eye. Um, but one of the, the things I really want to send up uh, flares for and say, holy crap, this was amazing. Um, I really want to say congrats to the visual effects team. Uh, who put together what ended up being probably one of the finest, if you guys get a chance, go back, one of the finest pieces of integrated technobabble in Star Trek history. When um, Saru and when Burnham are explaining to Lorca the algorithm that they're going to put together uh, in order to uh, blow the lid off of the Klingon shielding or cloaking technology... It, along with all of the three-dimensional and all of the screen um, visual effects that were put up there, made an exposition that usually is very, very heavy and heavy-weighted in Star Trek feel seamless, understandable, mm. and it just it it just sang true to me as a layperson viewer, and I loved it. And uh, I had made this 
reference to somebody else before, and that is exposition in um, Star Trek can be pretty, pretty heavy, and it works a lot like Harry Potter's forest, right? If, if you need to find out what's really going on, you go to the forest and you talk to the spiders, and they, exposition, they give you exposition, then you come out of the forest. That's the way Star Trek has always been. It's we go to engineering, engineer techno babbles you into a situation, and you go back to the bridge. This didn't have to happen this time. You got the the mm. explanation of the technology on the bridge with visuals, and it flowed like a dream. So I just have to say, yeah. well done. Yeah, I, I agree with you with that. I, I felt that the exposition in this episode was beautifully handled and welcome. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm one of those viewers who actually doesn't bitch if someone actually pauses for a moment to explain something. Uh, I think exposition has been given a horrible name by critics and reviewers because it can be done very badly or it can be done really, really well. And I think this was done very, very well. Last but not least, you know, we talk, we touched on it um, in Trek It Out, but a massive round of applause to Jonathan Frakes. Yes. I mean, this episode, again, I have never, I have never watched an episode of Star Trek and been so invested in every frame. Mm. Now, it could be because I knew it was Jonathan Frakes as well, and but even so, the man masterfully handled everything in this episode. I, I can't think of one scene whether it was Tyler and Laurel in the brig when they're so cold, when they're in there in each other's faces to to that moment where where Colbert loses his life yeah. and then to even some of the, the even some of the more campier scenes or some of the, the well the hilarity that was that was definitely Frakes you could see yes. that yeah. you you could tell that he had fun directing yeah. Mary Wiseman but even some of the the weaker scenes you know even some of the the, the weaker moments of the, the of the episode were still handled beautifully. He's one of the best. This was, uh, without a doubt, my favorite episode of Discovery to date. But I'm not, again, at all surprised that Jonathan Frakes just happened to direct it as well. Now, it was no In the Pale Moonlight episode, but it was still good. All right. You know what? We'll agree to disagree on that. It was interesting to note in um, an interview where they were saying that originally they had been looking at this the mirror universe occurring in maybe around episode four, and that this was you know, really central to the whole concept of the, the show, but they later decided they needed more um, establishment of normal before they could go to the mirror, and I, I think that was a brilliant call, because as amazing as this episode was, it built necessarily, I think, on everything that was laid in place leading to it. And if it had been rushed earlier in the season, I don't think it would have had the impact that it has now. Yeah, you could have, you could easily have skipped the the Sarek episode and the Harry Mudd episode, the time trap, the time loop episode. Yeah, um, you could very easily skip over those, but yeah, except to Robert's point, I, yeah, it, it it does establish, it does help build. The relationship between Stamets and Colber, and then Mary Wiseman and Ash and, and Burnham, Ash and Burnham, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know something, I, I gotta count against you on those two episodes that you 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 do not like because having just rewatched basically the whole season uh, in the last week to get ready for this, I think there's a lot of important character arc that occurs in those two what you think of as throwaway episodes that really actually are important even though they chose to diverge a little bit onto a more standalone story that the continuity of the characters and what happens in them I think is actually still important 
I just wish that they would have done that instead of instead of appeasing to the episodic fans, the fans that like the the we start where we end episodes. Um, and I'm sorry, we we end where we started episodes. Um, I wish they would have applied it to their their struggle defending themselves against the Klingons somehow. Right, because I don't think we've seen enough. I've said this that I don't think we've seen enough of the Klingon War, and, and and now we're getting a little now we're getting a little deep into the discussion of Star Trek Discovery, um, <laughs> and we are running a little long. But captains, you might get an extra little uh, supplemental log because I know that Terry has so many words about this episode. <laughs> evil laugh, evil laugh. <laughs> As does Robert. <sighs> So we will wrap it up on that high note about how great this episode was and how uh, how pleased we are with everyone's performance on this on this one, especially um, Jonathan Frakes directing. It's so great to have and see him at the helm again. And with that, that wraps up this week in on screen. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 348's community question was, What did you think of Black Mirror's USS Callister episode? Would you be interested in seeing some type of spinoff show? From Patreon, Katie Fulfer said, I liked the episode. I think exploring the ethics of playing around virtual worlds could be interesting, but a spinoff might not be binge material. Too dark. From Facebook, Sean Turcott writes, I want a second episode where the trap crew meets a nice fleet that does interviews with the games team and helps them escape. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, Sean. Well played. From Priority One Podcast, Star Kicker says, Black Mirror is brilliantly executed, but I always find it difficult to watch on account of it being so messed up. This was a good episode, and at least it had a somewhat happy ending. I don't think it was making fun of Star Trek at all. Space Fleet just happened to be the central character's obsession, which really just speaks to Star Trek's pervasiveness in the public consciousness. Half of me wishes we could play Star Trek online using the Infinity Tech featured in the episode, but the other half of me knows it would probably end with myself and a bunch of my friends going all Reginald Barkley and never coming out. Did either of you have the opportunity of uh, catching this episode yet? I I had way too many people saying, watch it! I have yeah, to yeah, say, yeah. I have not. I have never seen the show. Okay. Take a look at that first episode of this of this most recent season of Black Mirror. It might hook you. It might hook you, and you might want to start watching the other ones. I would. I actually would love to hear your opinion about the the, the series as a whole and the last few seasons, but in particular this one. And so, Robert, you said you watched it. I've st- over the last week, I've started to see more headlines that shared my opinion of it you know that that this was a representation of of toxic fandom filtered through star trek you know and and here we are with another misrepresentation to move a story forward and then on top of that i've even seen other headlines talking about toxic masculinity um and how that was you know a a premanent theme in this episode what what are your thoughts well in that regards i mean the, the truth is, there is a lot of toxicity in the gaming community and, and in the fan community, and it's a nasty side of it. It's not, by any stretch, I think, the majority of it, but, you know, it's fair game, I think, for comment and commentary, and I, I thought the episode did a fairly brilliant job of uh, 
of examining that from a really, really creative vantage point. Now, as to what would happen if they spun it off onto its own series, I think it actually could sidestep all of that. And that, for me, one of the more interesting aspects of the storyline would be the idea of these, you know, virtual intelligences existing, um, you know, that no longer connected to their their biological forms. The idea that they are like almost an Easter egg in the game, right? This is something unique, and the weird kind of interactions that could exist between you know these virtual entities and real gamers, and the uh, interplay of influence they could have in the real world, of you know from that viewpoint of them being characters on a ship uh, that exists only in a virtual space. I think there's a lot of really unique material that uh, could be mined from a storyline like that. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. They are the Caprica avatar consciousness stuck in the, uh, the virtual yeah, world. Yeah, right? the, uh, I, it, Just the very idea of dealing with what happens if you were able to copy your own consciousness into a computer. The idea that Star Trek is filled with the idea of transferring consciousness, but the reality is that's not how it would work. You know, your, your brain is still going to be in your brain, regardless of whether you make a copy in a computer. And so the idea of how do you deal with the fact that you realize you are not who you remember yourself to be, but you're an actual virtual person separate from what your memories make you to be and how you cope with that as a virtual right. entity? I think that it has a lot of interesting potential that, that has been um, mined in sci-fi novels, but almost never in, uh, or at least not to any depth in sci-fi television or movies. Sounds like a really fascinating look and a fascinating type of script. I'll have to check it out. Sorry for the spoilers. <laughs> oh, if there's one thing I know I don't have to worry about, I don't mind spoilers at all. Never. I never do. From Twitter, at Hippie John writes in, I thought it was a brilliant comment on toxic masculinity and its effects on so many things. I would not see it as sustainable as a show on its own, but a great, great commentary. This week's Title of Tuesday winner is at Brickwall Goalie, replying on Twitter, You know what I want to hear? You played it for her. You could play it for me. And this was an image that we shared from Star Trek Las Vegas 2017 uh, when <laughs> a listener and I were chilling very late and very intoxicated at um, 10 forward. How fun. We once again look to Twitter for our weekly Survey Sunday. How do you plan on viewing at Star Trek CBS tonight? And out of 38 votes, 45% went alone. Hashtag shh, Trek is on. 16% were with friends. Hashtag Disco Partay. And 39% can't tonight. Hashtag no spoilers. Well, hopefully you've all gotten caught up and sharing the enthusiasm and passion that uh, that we do here. Well, that wraps up episode 349 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at priorityonepodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash podcast. Or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. 
Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members in the Armada. Each week we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and a lithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Speaking of patrons, we are so grateful to Starkicker and Diana for joining our patrons with their monthly contributions. On behalf of the entire team, thank you. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Now with a brand new format, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Thanks to Jake Morgan as well for spearheading our social media endeavors, especially those Titlet Thursdays and awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boatslew. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. with me because I would start on zero. But oh, I, I know math. <laughs> <laughs> I know numbers. Then, as always, we'll be opening hailing frequencies to see what's incoming. Hey, you want to give me that frequencies? Then, as always, we will be... Nope. Then, as always, we will open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming. It's...
I we're laughing with you, not at you. We are. No, we are. Yeah, because I it always gets me too. It's like hearing hearing frequencies. Hearing frequencies. <laughs> then, as always, we'll be open opening. <laughs> okay. Then, as always, we open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming. Yay. <laughs> Captains, we know, we know, you know, uh, is patreon.com forward slash priority one. It's priority one, right? Is a priority one podcast priority one? You know, after seven years. It's priority one, but you definitely need to re-deliver it because you went priority one. <laughs> that website again is patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, for all those who can't get CBS All Access to stream worth a damn, we'll tell you what we saw on screen. Ooh, I gotta grab a community question. Uh, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna screw that up. Yeah, just keep rolling. Um, I'll deliver this later because we'll probably have a we'll probably have a community question in Star Trek Online, so I'll record that later. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Winters. I can live without that line. <laughs> stealing my dialogue, man. You're stealing my lines, just like William Shatner. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priority.com. <laughs> Speaking of patrons, we are so very grateful to Star Kicker and Diana for joining our patrons with their monthly. Monthly? Monthly? Num, 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 num. Speaking of patrons, we are so grateful to Star Kicker and Diana for joining our Patreons. Pa Jesus Christ. Well, you have it written <laughs> as Patreons. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just reading this, the poor writing that I wrote. <laughs> That's what it was. Screw yourself Which over. Which happens every week. <laughs>